It's only ever happened to me one time, but I can promise you in that moment it was incredibly frustrating, a little embarrassing, if I'm honest. Maybe I got a little angry. I'm talking about running out of gas. By a show of hands, who, who in this room has ever ran out of gas? Am I right? My wife and I have completely different philosophies when it comes to fuel management in our personal vehicles. The way we go about managing the Kurtz fleet. Uh, I operate with the simple practical philosophy of once the car is below a half a tank, at worst a quarter of a tank, it's time to start looking for an opportunity to put gas in the vehicle by a show of hands, who, who lives their life that way? My wife, <laughs> on the other hand, she, I don't even know if she knows there's a fuel gauge that tells you <laughs> this type of information that slowly winds itself down to be on empty. She waits for that warning chime that your digital dashboard gives you and it tells you like, I've got, you've got 47 miles before you're in trouble. Then she starts to contemplate when and where she might look for gas. How many of you in this room, you live your life that way? We'll pray for you. There's still hope. It's 2024, it's a new year, new you, we can do this. This weekend, our, our church is kicking off a new series, a Bible study emphasis for the next seven weeks. You're gonna be challenged in Bible study to be faithful 24-7. 24-7, every hour of every day, to, to be on mission to live your life for Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis we'll be walking through in Bible study. And I think that's a, a really great emphasis 2024, once again, it's January. Lots of people operated inside of new resolutions and goals and whether it be eating healthy or being in the gym more or being off of social media or being more present with your family or, or pursuing something, working harder, whatever the case may be, I think that being faithful 24-7 is up there with the best of them when it comes to things that are challenging and difficult to do. And if we're honest, a lot of us in this room know as Christ followers, it's really easy in our pursuit of being faithful to wind up on the side of the road, spiritually speaking, completely out of gas. As a matter of fact, if, if you follow Christ long enough, it's bound to happen to you. I don't care how often you look at your spiritual fuel gauge, there's gonna be a moment and a place and a time where you feel like you can't go any further and you are completely out of gas. That word faithful, it's a good word. The definition of the word faithful, it's simple. It means to, to be reliable, to be steadfast, to be unwavering. Jesus used this word most famously in the parable of the talents. Oh, by the way, next week we're kicking off a new study, a new series in worship on the parables. Ben will be back in this service. It's gonna be a great study. I'm excited about it. But Jesus mentioned this word, faithful, in the parable of the talents. And, and he said this. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, 21. We use that verse oftentimes at funerals, 
and moments and times where we want to honor someone or speak to their life, kind of encapsulate their life, we'll say she or he is in no, in no doubt hearing in this moment, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness, to be faithful, to live a life that's faithful, can we all just agree that's a really great goal. It's a great destination. As we look to this new year and we, and we talk about things we want to improve, I think it'd be great if we all would say, that's a goal that I have for my life, to be more faithful spiritually speaking. But today, I wanna talk to us about the fuel for faithfulness because if that is indeed an endeavor, if that is indeed a goal that we have for our life, how in the world, how in the world do we stay on that path? How in the world do we stay consistent in that pursuit? How in the world do we keep from running out of that spiritual fuel? And so I want you to open up, if you would, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five, gonna be kind of through verses one through 16. Before we look at this, can I pray for us? Can we pray together, church? Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather together in community today. I pray that you would use this time to speak to us to challenges, maybe even to changes. God, help your, your word to take up root in our heart and show up in our life. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. A little bit of context here about Luke chapter five, so you just know what's going on. You read in Luke chapter four, Jesus' public ministry begins. We start to get a really clear picture in Luke's account of his life, of, of who Jesus is, what he's came to do. We start to read about his heart, the love that he has, the, the goodness and the grace that he has. We start to see his power. We start to understand and bump into his sovereignty. So we're starting to understand who Jesus is. We pick up in Luke chapter five with more of that. And what, what always strikes me when I read the gospels is how consumed Jesus was with his mission. Talk about faithfulness. How faithful he was to the mission that God had called him to. Faithfulness 24-7. You, you can't miss it when you read about the life of Christ. Just look in these first 14 verses. Let me kind of paraphrase here. Luke chapter 5, the first 14 verses. Let me just kind of walk you through these different chunks. Once again, talking about being faithful 24-7. Verses 1 through 4, Jesus stands or gets in, sets in Simon Peter's boat and begins to teach the crowd. He's given this beautiful message. He's teaching God's word. Verses five through seven, Jesus performs a miracle commonly referred to as the miraculous catch. Remember he tells the disciples, tells Peter, hey, put your nets back in the water. They say, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught anything. They do it, they catch a tremendous amount of fish. That's verses five through seven. Then picking up in verse eight, verse eight through 11, Jesus calls Simon Peter. He calls Peter to be one of his disciples. And in verses 12 through 14, Jesus heals a man of leprosy. So just in these first 14 verses, just from one chapter, and by the way, you could pick any chapter from any one of the gospels and this same thing, you will see the same rhythm in the life of Christ. 24 seven, being on mission, being faithful to follow 
what God had called him to. But what was the result of this faithfulness? What began to happen in the life of Christ? And here we are, just a chapter and some change into the public ministry of Christ. What we're going to see is super apparent. But what happens in our lives? As we, say, as we seek to be faithful 24-7, as we seek to pursue the things that God has called us to, as we seek to live for him, what happens to us is what happens to Christ. Look at verse 15 in Luke chapter 5. It says this, but the good news, or I'm sorry, the news about him was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. During this time in Galilee, probably three million people, I mean, a, a large group of people in this area. So potentially thousands upon thousands of people were in this crowd. Look back at verse one of 15. What does it say? Verse one, it says, the crowd was pressing around him, physically pressing him. So much so that Jesus had to get into Peter's boat. They had pressed Jesus to the edge of the water. He gets in Peter's boat so that he can teach the crowd. They were literally on top of him. As Jesus began to live out the mission that God has called him to, as we begin out, as we begin to live out what God has called us to as faithful followers of Christ, the pursuit of faithfulness comes with pressure to perform, provide, and please. That's what happens in verse 15. They were so on top of him. Their demands were so great. And oh, by the way, some people in the crowd that day wanted another miracle. They'd heard about Jesus and his miracles. They showed up, hey, do something for us, Jesus. Some people came with someone who was sick in their family or, or they themselves were sick and they wanted Jesus to be healed. Some people in the crowd wanted him to be king. They wanted him to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. They wanted him to be king. Everyone had their own agenda about what they wanted from Jesus. And he started to sense this pressure to provide, perform, or to please the crowd. What about you in your life? as you are faithful to what God has called you to, if you're a Christian, do you have any pressure in your life? Mom, dad, husband, wife. I mean, it, truly, if God calls us to be faithful with the whole of our lives, we don't get to compartmentalize our faith. So if we're called to be faithful with all of it and endeavor to be faithful 24 hours a day, seven days a week in all areas of our life, do you have any pressure as, as a Christian mom or dad or husband, wife, businessman, businesswoman, leader? How about a student? Is there any pressure in your life? I wonder just by a show of hands if we're honest. How many of you in this room this morning would say, I feel pressure in my life in some area, some way, shape, or form? Demands, quotas, Deadlines, grades, relationships, all these things that are in our lives that we're called to be faithful in. And then you add on top of all those things, the, the practical areas of our life, you add in the spiritual component if we're a Christian. And trying to be 
consistent and faithful in that area of our life. To be faithful in community, to come and worship on the weekends, to get connected to Bible study, to be consistent in God's word. It's a whole other layer of pressure. In my life, one of the first lessons I learned spiritually was this lesson. I've been a Christian for a month and some change. I was working myself out of uh, drug and alcohol abuse. I was trying to uh, get rid of certain relationships and friends in my life and pursue new friends and relationships. I was definitely trying to put certain substances and abuses behind me and pursue new things that God had called me to. I was trying to make things right with my family and make things right with myself. I was trying to be obedient to what I knew God was calling me to and I began to read God's word and I was trying to figure all that out. And I got to a place about a month in my faith where I just said, this is too much. Like just the pressure was so overwhelming. I thought, I can't live my life like this. I can't do this. And I walked away. August 15th of uh, summer of 1998, I walked away and I went on a 24-hour bender and I was done. And someone came to me, uh, I think I've told this story before, someone came to me that next day and confronted me and said, you know, you're right, you can't, you can't live your life this way. We're not called as Christians to be perfect. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to carry this pressure to perform and to please and to provide for people. That's not how we live our lives as Christ's followers. To begin to kind of reframe my view and my pursuits of, of godliness. That was a long time ago. I'm 44 years old now. That was when I was 19. Can I be honest with you? I still feel that way some days. I don't like to stand up here. Preaching is hard. Talk about pressure to perform, provide, and please. Every time you step in this pulpit, that's, I want people to like me. I want people to say, man, that was really good. What do you do with the pressure? How do you handle the pressure? It's so important. And here's the truth. Pressure can be a part of the enemy's plan to derail us in our pursuit of faithfulness. Oh, how the enemy loves to let that pressure build up and pile up in our lives so much so that it drives us into, into things and places and spaces that we're not meant to go, we're not meant to be. I mean, just think about, we, we know we could give names and we could give chapter and verse accounts in our own lives of people who we've seen this happen to. It's that famous phrase, backslidden, they've, they've backslidden, you know, they've fallen back into things. That happens because of the pressure. And it could have happened to Jesus on that day. He could have given in to the crowds. He could have begun to do things that they wanted him to do. 
He, he no doubt, because he was all God and all man, fully God, fully man, he, he, he had temptation to be someone that the crowd loved and to meet their demands and meet their needs and make them happy. The flip side of the coin is this, that pressure can also be a part of God's plan to renew us in our pursuit of faithfulness. Oh, the enemy would love to use it to drive us into places and spaces and things, but, but God also wants to use the pressure. He, he wants to use it for our good. And look what happens in our verse, look at what happens in our text, rather. Look at verse 16. Look how Jesus handled the pressure. It says this, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. How did he handle the pressure? Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. The word often is the word hupo horeo. It's a Greek word, hupo horeo. And it means to do something continually. It's a habit. So Jesus had the habit of continually slipping away to pray, getting away from the crowds, the demands, the temptation, the voices. Faithfulness requires healthy habits. If you want to be faithful 24-7, you better build in to your life healthy habits. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, you need to be careful about the boundaries and safeguards that you put into practice in your life. You need to establish rhythms and routines that help refuel you as you seek to be faithful 24-7. You need to say no to certain things so you can say yes to the right things. You need to slow down and you need to seek God. There's one healthy habit that stands out above all the rest in the life of Christ and you see it over and over and over again. Jesus would get alone with God and pray. He would seek God's face. He would still his life. He would clear his agenda. He would give God priority. And he built that rhythm into his life. And here's the truth of the matter. Worship is the fuel for faithfulness. Worship is the fuel for faithfulness. If you wanna be faithful 24 seven, you better build in rhythms and routines in your life where God can renew you in that endeavor. It says Jesus went and often would pray. Prayer is a part, is a discipline, is a component of worship. It also includes studying God's word. It, actually, it also includes songs of praise. It's all of it. Jesus, in order to be refueled in his pursuit of being faithful to what God had called him to, would spend time worshiping God. And that's both public and private. Every weekend, these doors are open, and there's a lot of doors that lead into this room. And these doors are open so you can come in 
take place in worship, walk out of here and be renewed and refueled in your pursuit of being faithful to what God has called you to. Friends, Christ followers, brothers and sisters, we are supposed to be consistent in coming together. It's not, a, it's not something we get to think about or should say, you know what, it's Sunday, what do you think? Can we, can we squeeze it in? We're gonna be out of town, should we, might we, ought we? No. If you're serious about your faith and you're pursuing the things that God has for you, you need to be in times of corporate worship and private worship. I love this definition of worship. It says, worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their minds, attention, and their hearts affection on the Lord. Isn't that good? Believers by grace, by grace we enter into it, we center our minds on it, our hearts affection on the Lord. Whether it's through his word, times of prayer, songs of praise, all of it. In other words, you let God have you. That's what worship is. You let God have you. And when Jesus would go into the wilderness, that's what he would do. He would let God have him. All of him, his heart, his mind, his priority, his attention, he let God have him. What do we do with the pressure? We bring it into these moments of worship. We give it to God because we're called to cast our cares. We're called to give him our burdens. We hand that pressure over to him. And guess what? He reminds us of a few things. He reminds us that the finished work of the cross has taken place. We no longer have to be perfect. We, don't, we no longer have to earn or strive to achieve a certain measure of, of righteousness or goodness because he's done that. We're reminded of that. We're also reminded of how much he loves us, his, his grace and his goodness and his kindness. And we are renewed. Our strength is renewed. That's the point. That's the purpose of worship. Look back at, at verse 16. There's one word that I love. It says, Jesus went into the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness, a place of isolation, sometimes desolation, sometimes completely alone. The wilderness. You see, Worship is the fuel for faithfulness, but it also has the power to transform our wilderness into a house of worship. There is no place, there is no space, there's no corner of creation that God cannot meet you in that moment when you seek his face. There's no situation, there's no difficulty in your life, there's no mistake that you're in or a mess that you're in. That if you will pursue God, that he can't meet you there. And just watch him turn your wilderness into a house of worship.
Howard Rutledge, his, his picture is on the screen. Howard Rutledge was a, a Navy pilot. He was shot down in 1965 over Vietnam. He parachuted into a small village. And as, he, as his feet hit the ground, he was attacked, he was captured, and he was imprisoned. For the next seven years, seven years, Howard Rutledge was a, a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He endured brutal, brutal treatment. Most days, he was fed a bowl of rotting soup with a chunk of pig fat hair and skin still attached. He, he said that there were rats as big as cats and spiders as big as your fist all around his prison. Many days he was shackled in these excruciating positions and sometimes left for days in his own in his own his own waste. He was asked, how in the world were you able to survive? Seven years later, he was released, he was rescued. He was asked, how in the world were you able to survive and endure all of that? He said, you know, at this point in my life, I was not a, a Christian, I was not a Christ follower. I was not faithful to God. He said, it took prison to show me how empty life is without God. He said, in those moments, the best I could, I would try to recall certain portions of scripture I'd heard in passing or heard maybe as a kid, but honestly, I just knew a few words here and there. He said, as the, as the camp filled up, other prisoners came in he said, we eventually, we, we created our own secret language. We would use the tapping on the wall or the shuffling of our feet or the rhythm of a broom being swept to communicate through this secret code to each other in the prison camp. And he said, most of our communication was spent trying to, to remind ourselves of Scripture or hymns, and we put all of this information together. He said the favorite verse that we had, the whole camp, favorite verse was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He said that was the verse that fueled us to be faithful. Can I tell you something? Howard Rutledge landed in that POW camp and he was not a, a believer. He was rescued before he was rescued. Did you get it? He was rescued before he was rescued. He said, my faith 
my newfound faith in Jesus Christ. He wrote a book called In the Hands of Thy Enemies about his experience. He said, my newfound faith in Jesus Christ is what kept me alive and gave me purpose in the hands of my enemies. The shadow of the cross reaches into the deepest and darkest places in the world. And can I tell you this, if you're in this room and faithfulness is a new concept to you and you're here, your life's a mess, it's off the rails, it's broken in so many ways and there's things that you're struggling with and trying to get through, hey, I can relate to you. We can relate to you because we've all been there. Can I just tell you this? You might be waiting for circumstances to change, for the situation to get better, but you can be rescued before you're rescued. God wants to meet you where you are through his love and saving grace. He wants to meet you where you are and put the broken pieces of your life back together so that you can be faithful 24 seven.